Welcome to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast aims to bring the sermon from our Sunday morning service to you each and every week. Whether you're a longtime follower of Christ or just beginning to explore who Jesus is, we invite you to join us as we dive deep into God's Word and what He has to teach us today. So listen in as we jump into what God has in store. Good morning. I'm really glad that you're here. As Patrick mentioned earlier this morning, we're in week two of a series that's on heaven. And uh, I'll give you a little glimpse into um, life at Rolling Hills and being on our staff team, particularly our teaching team, um, because we know pretty much a year in advance every sermon series that we're going to be walking through over the next calendar year. Um, And if you would have a year ago told me that we were going to keep this sermon series on heaven on the books, I would have called you crazy because I thought, surely we're not going to really do that. I mean, that's a great idea, but who comes and does a whole series on heaven? Because we all come to this conversation with lots of different thoughts and feelings and preconceived notions about what heaven is. And I don't want to take away anybody's whoopee in their life, um, the thing that they're clinging to so tightly just to get to sleep at night. But we want to examine clearly what Scripture says. Um, And I know that there are many of you in this room um, who, like me, have children at home. And you are joining me in prayer this morning for an absence of what they're calling for this week in snow. um, Because you want them to go. I get it. Um, We'll we'll pray for that to that end. But we'll also prepare for what may be a very different week. Um, My son came home last week and he is... Um, in like a five-day week school for the first time as a fifth grader, previously having been homeschooled. And, and he comes home from school on Friday afternoon. Hey, Dad, you know, all the kids in our class say that on Monday night, we're supposed to put ice cubes in our toilet and sleep with a white crayon under our pillow and wear our pajamas inside out. And I said, why, buddy? And he said, so that we can get snow. And then I thought, well, we're going to have to do a lesson on atmospheric pressure and where weather comes from, and then also go back to Scripture to say that the Lord is in charge of all of that. Um, We do have a holiday tomorrow, regardless of whether or not the school systems in our area and workplaces, some of y'all are praying for the snow, I get it. Um, We do have a holiday tomorrow that we observe, and it's it's a good one for us to visit. Um, Last year, I read an article in New York Times by a, a fantastic um, author and speaker and teacher. His name is a pastor named Esau Macaulay, um, and he's a frequent contributor to the Times, and I've followed, uh, read a lot of his books and followed his words and learned an incredible amount for him, and he writes this article that was featured last year on Martin Luther King Jr. Day and the observance that we have for it, and he says this, King's words remind us that injustice leaves a legacy. It creates inequalities that do not simply disappear. Things that don't go away just because we created legislation, things that don't go away just because we eliminated false systems, things that don't go away. There's still a stain, there's still an aroma, there's still a lasting impression on people's lives, on all of our lives, of the inequality and the injustice. And he says we need to use that knowledge to chart the long and winding path towards justice. It's good for us to draw conclusions today that say things like racism is wrong, but it's also good for us to draw the application that says this world is still, this community, our our city, our state, and our country are still on a, a long and winding path. Things just didn't get better in the 1800s or the 1960s or even the last few years. Like, we're still on a long path with a leg in the journey yet to go, 
and we have a place in that journey um, to be people who dismantle all that and, and people who speak out against all that and people who advocate for brothers and sisters. And so we look at the legacy of people who gave their lives for it um, and we want to, in the name of Jesus, do the same. So let's start with prayer this morning. Father, we thank you. Thank you for um, the legacy of Dr. King. Thank you for the words um, that continue to inspire us and teach us and correct us even today. And for those um, like Dr. McCauley who are contextualizing those words of what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ in 2000 and now 24. Recognizing that we're on a path and that we've still got a ways to go. God, would you help us as redeemed people as followers of your son, um, to be among those who take us further along the journey. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, and it's to you and the freedom that you gave that we remember even this day. Amen. I'm excited to be here with you, and even to have that moment to pause and remember and talk about things that really do matter. If I haven't had a chance to meet you before, I'll tell you, I love getting the chance to be the campus pastor of this location of Rolling Hills, and Pastor Jeff, um, at, at our senior pastor over all of the campuses, always kicks off every sermon series. He did a fantastic job last week talking about heaven, so if you want to go online to our Church Center app or to other means by which you may listen to all the things that are out there in the world, you can catch up with that message even as we dive into what is week two. Um, I've been married um, to my wife Susan for 23, going on 24 years. Here it is, 2024. That means we got married in the year 2000, post Y2K. Y'all remember that, some of you. So we get married. We have three wonderful children, um, two high school daughters that are really close in age. Um, they are 17 and soon to be 16. That's one of the ways that you can pray for me. Um, and then we have a son that I mentioned before who's an 11-year-old fifth grader. And so when our girls were five and six, preparing for the arrival of what we prepared them in advance for was going to be a baby brother. We did have one of them that said, the baby is a girl. And we said, well, why do you think that, sweetie? And she goes, because I don't like boys. And we're like, well, it's going to serve you well for at least the next few years of life until I let you know that there are boys in the world. But here in this moment, we need you to be excited about the fact that God is gifting you a baby brother. And we, like so many other people in their lives, would come up to them and inevitably say, girls, we're so excited for you. Nora Blake, where is your baby brother? And she would always respond with the answer, in my mommy's tummy. Now, when she was four years old, we did not correct her inaccurate view of the female anatomy in that moment. We didn't say, well, actually, Nora Blake, it's the, I'm not even going to tell you what that is today. Okay, but you know where I'm going. Like, we didn't give her a lesson on anatomy in that moment. Her answer wasn't incorrect, but her answer was incomplete. And that's where a lot of you and I get off talking about heaven. There's so many things about the idea of heaven and the place that we go and the eternal life that we inherit. Those so many things that aren't incorrect, but in so many ways they're incomplete. And they're not the accurate view of what God wants us to pay attention to and know as believers who are maturing. We can stay in that four-year-old faith all we want to, but God has a design and a desire that we learn and grow past the elementary school things of our belief and understand what he has for us because it's even better. We land on Acts chapter 4 verse 12 this morning as a launch pad for the question that we're attempting to answer, but we'll spend the bulk of our time if you want to turn your analog Bibles or open up your digital Bibles and find Luke chapter 18. That's where we'll spend our time Luke, having written not only that gospel, but also the book of Acts, tells us salvation 
is found in no one else. And like, we can agree to that this morning, but even in our conversations about heaven, we can land on the fact that salvation, the idea that we get to go to heaven is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven, okay, that's good, given to mankind by which we must be saved. And a glimpse into my life is that I grew up in the life of the local evangelical Baptist church in our community. And so I had a picture, even from a young age, of who Jesus is and what Jesus did and how you and I would get to heaven. And we were frequently asked questions like that. Do you know where you'll spend eternity if today was the day that you died? And that's a, that's a loaded question to ask a seven-year-old. And I remember very distinctly growing up, and we had this, some of you will know this too, there was a blue cartoon hymn book named Salty, and we sang songs and like things like heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I want to see my Savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful place. And then the kids would get to shout, I want to go there because that was our teachings on heaven. The idea that if we believed in Jesus Christ as God's one and only son, then we would get to have eternal life and not be separated from heaven. We would get to go to heaven. And even in the moments of all the things that we were being taught in the life of the church, I still had a concept of heaven that looked very much like the cartoon Care Bears. The idea that we'd be floating around on clouds. And it was not beyond me in that moment to think that we might get a symbol on our belly and become magical. I have no idea what I was thinking about heaven and what we were being taught as I graduated and moved through the life of the evangelical church. I was also taken, and some of you went there, and you have the trauma wounds to experience it with me, a judgment house. Anybody ever heard of that? It was like a haunted house, but with the gospel. And we went to the, basically it was a warehouse in your city where the youth group would show up and there would be a live action drama in all of the rooms that you would go to. And in tiny small groups, your youth leader, y'all are looking at me going, this poor fella, how is he a pastor? I cannot believe that happened to him. Y'all pray for him. We went into the judgment house and we walked into the very first room and every judgment house that you go to inevitably had a whole bunch of teenagers who died. And there would be some sort of dramatic moment where all of a sudden you would go and you would see them making really wrong choices like drinking and driving you shouldn't do that that's your public service announcement for today like so alcohol would be involved and then there would be a car crash and there would be this really dramatic scene that was kind of meant to make you afraid in several moments and then all of a sudden the next room that you would enter into is the one where they all flatlined and then the next room that you entered into was the one where some of the kids who had professed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior walked into heaven and they always had the air condition going on in heaven and there was like soft music playing in the background and like white sheets hanging around the room and everyone was really happy and some people were wearing wings and halos like angels and there was this great big celebration and someone stood in front of you with a big deep voice and said, why should I let you into my heaven? And then the fellow would say, because I trusted Jesus as my savior. And it was like, go and enter into eternal. And that felt great. Like the paradise that was coming, it affirmed any sort of prayer that you had prayed as a young child that you were gonna go to heaven one day when you died and you were thrilled, check mark. But then they took you into the room where the teenagers who died in the car crash who didn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they had turned the heat on. And, and I don't know how they accomplished this, but they made it smell bad. And there were all of these people, like actors from the church that was putting this on. Like it was very dark. You couldn't see one foot in front of the other. And that's where it really started to get like a haunted house in the month of October. Like all these people who were like moaning and crying and screaming and grabbing your feet when you walked by, which is utterly terrifying if you can't see where you're headed. And then they would usher you into a room at the very end, and they would ask you this question. If you were to die tonight, do you know where you would spend eternity? And much of 
my theology and much of my understanding about what it means to be a Christian at that point in my life was informed by fear. Fear and this eventual place that one of us would get to where it would be with God or without God. And the Bible has more to say about what that means than we're willing to often listen to. Those are common questions and common answers, but they're not complete ones. And, and that's in, in your notes this morning. Sky Jathani says, just as the earth is not the center of the solar system, what if heaven is not the center of our faith? Because everything that I grew up with and everything that I understood said heaven is the actual goal. It's the peak of our relationship with the Lord. It's exactly what we want to do. As long as you pray a prayer, as long as you raise your hand, as long as you get dunked in water, then you're good for life. And it was nothing more than a fire insurance policy to be certain of the fact that you had a home that wasn't in the dark place. And the whole identity behind becoming a Christian in that moment was about spending eternity with God. And it wasn't about making sure that you were with him in heaven. It was really just making sure that you you at all cost avoided the damage that came along with hell. It was insurance. And what we were really asking for was some level of assurance that the great God of this universe had given us the gift that scripture claims that he gave and that we would somehow get to take hold of that, but not just take hold of that, but to live it out. We asked the question, how do I get to heaven? And again, it's a common question, but not a complete one because there's more to it than that. And so we read this morning from the book of Luke, start, starting in chapter 18, verse 18. This is an encounter that Jesus had with a wealthy young man. It says, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this fellow's not even asking, like, how do I go to heaven? He's saying, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? I want to make sure that I get on the good side of the equation when I meet my maker. And then Jesus, in sassy fashion like he always was, says, well, why do you call me good? Turned the question into another question, and then he generously answered, no one is good except God alone. And then he says, you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. And the guy speaks up, he says, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Hallelujah, check mark. I did all the things. I did all the things that I was supposed to do to inherit eternal life. I did all the things that I was supposed to do to be ushered into heaven and to avoid the place of torment. I did all the things that I was supposed to do to make sure that God approved of me. And when Jesus heard this, he said to the man, you still lack one thing. Uh-oh. Sell everything that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have what? Treasure. Inheritance. In heaven. Then, come follow me. And when he heard this, he became, this man became very sad because he was very wealthy. He couldn't give up all the stuff. And so Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Who gets to go to heaven? Who gets to inherit eternal life? Who gets to end up on the good side of the balancing scale whenever we die? And he says this, Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. 
this whole fellow was sitting there going, okay, check mark, check mark, check mark. I did that, I did that, I did that, I didn't do that, I didn't do that, I didn't do that. But he still had his eyes fixed on something else other than Jesus. And so Jesus responds and says, one thing you lack. And what this does for us this morning, what the question, how do we get to heaven, does for us this morning, is it reveals what our true theology of salvation is. Because our theology about salvation is either finding God or being found. Finding God or being found. Luke, that same book, a couple chapters before Jesus had given the people who were listening to him that day uh, three separate parables all about the idea of salvation. And he tells about a lost sheep. He tells about a lost coin. He tells about a lost and wayward son. And in the story of the lost sheep and in the story of the lost coin and even in the story of the lost son, he tells that there is so much rejoicing and so much just a party in heaven anytime one sinner is found, anytime one lost person is restored. It says in Luke chapter 15, verse 4, what man among you like, has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it. And anybody in here who understands economics at all is saying, why in the world would you leave your 99 sheep at risk in an open field and go find the one that's lost? And what scripture paints for us in this moment is a picture of a God who is absolutely 100% going to risk everything to go and find lost things. And somehow or another, when we phrase the question, how do I go to heaven? How do I get there? How do I find Jesus? How do I find eternity? How do I inherit eternal life? We misunderstand the level of our lostness when we lead with what we can do to get to heaven. What we can obey. What we can find guy's looking at Jesus like Siri and saying, hey, can you show me the directions? When do I turn right? When do I turn left? How do I get there? How do I inherit that? How can I make sure that I have this one thing that I like? And he says, we, we minimize our sin when we spend more time highlighting all the good stuff that we've done to earn our place rather than repenting of the wrong that's in our life. Because no matter the good that we do, it doesn't matter what kind of list you can check off and what kind of boxes you've measured up. Like, it doesn't matter. No matter the good you do, there will always be minimally at least one thing that you lack. And Jesus looks at this fellow and says, the one thing that you lack is that you've got something in your life that takes the place of Jesus. You've got something in your life that is prioritized over faith in God. You've got something in your life that you would cling to as opposed to just clinging to him and to him alone and there's so many different sermons and books and ideas about this passage in Luke chapter 18 that are all built on the idea of monetary wealth and scripture's not talking about monetary wealth in this moment it's talking about priorities in our life and a true understanding of where salvation comes from unless we've forgotten we can go back to Acts chapter 4 verse 12 that says salvation is found in no one else no thing else because there's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. And that picture of heaven gets a little bit lost on us in our English translations of scripture because every time we read heaven, we're thinking clouds. Every time we read heaven, we're thinking throne room of God. But every time you read heaven in scripture, most of the moments, it's just talking about the sky. It's talking about the universe. It's talking about the cosmos. It's talking about, the, it's talking about everything that's out there in the world. And so when 
Luke writes to us in the book of Acts chapter 4 verse 12 that there's no other name under heaven. That means there's no name out there, past, present, or future in the cosmos. No other name, no other thing, nothing in life could ever offer salvation other than Jesus. No matter the good you do, there's always something you lack. Jesus looks at the guy and says, hey, one thing you still lack. Sell everything that you have and give it to the poor, and then you'll have that thing you want, treasure, inheritance in heaven. Jewish people had a, a, a concept, and it was highlighted by Irish Christians. Timothy George, who started Beeson Divinity School, he says this about Celtic Christians talking about thin places. Thin places are, are not thin because the air is rarefied or the land is narrow, but because the distance between heaven and earth shrinks and time and eternity embrace. Uh, a thin place is where the veil between this world and the next is lifted for a moment, and it may be possible to get a glimpse of what one's life is all about, perhaps what all of life itself is about. And there's a picture that we could even draw for ourselves today of what that looks like and what it means to understand this, this picture of, of, of thin places. Okay, so we're going to try something and see see how it goes. Like for, for most of us, we had a picture of, of this idea of heaven being anything that's up, earth being anything that's here, and hell, whoops, being anything that's down. And even mentally, we go in that scape, oh, heaven is up, like, like the, the, the geography of God is somehow up, and, and the geography of not God is somehow down. And, and so we look at what that picture looks like. Jewish people had a, a concept of thin places in what it understood for them to me, and make sure I get to the right one in this moment. Yeah, thin places, like in the Old Testament, where Jacob falls asleep, and he sees this ladder come down from heaven, and all of a sudden the angels are descending up and down. That would have been a, a thin place, where all of a sudden the, the, the distance and the chasm between earth and heaven opened up, and we could get a glimpse of what was going on on the other side. A similar one happened in the, the burning bush situation, where Moses is just tending the sheep of his father-in-law, and he sees in the distance a bush that's on fire but not being consumed. That was strange, so he went over to check it out, and then all of a sudden he hears the voice of of God telling him to take off his shoes because this spot was holy ground. It was a thin place where all of a sudden there was going to be a moment where heaven and earth intersected and he got to see it. And then you fast forward to the New Testament and the temple becomes a thin place where some of those sheep, the perfect spotless ones, this guy's really shocked because something's about to happen to him. He's taken into a temple where the presence of God was said to live and to occupy. And we get a picture of a, of a heavenly throne room when, the, when, the, when the, the lamb is sacrificed and the sins are atoned for so that people can be with God, the ultimate thin place. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, the, the only thin place that you and I need is an understanding of who Jesus is on a cross. He's the ultimate thin place. In John chapter 1, he's talking to this fellow named Nathaniel who believes that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, the one that they had been waiting on. And, and Jesus looks back at him and he says, you're not going to believe it. You're going to see way more. You believe this just because I told you where you came from? Like, you're going to see way more in this. You will see the angels descending on the Son of Man. And he's referencing what happened way back in the book of Genesis, talking about a thin place, saying, hey, my name is Jesus. I'm that ladder. I'm what goes back and forth. The only way for you to get a glimpse of heaven is that I came to get you. And so we look at this picture of what this is in our lives today, and we're looking at this picture like Scripture never uses heaven and hell together. 
It's not these opposite places in our mind that must appear in like so many different verses together. Scripture tells a lot about heaven. And any verse that you read that's got an and to it is earth. And the overlapping space between the two is what enables us to see God. And the only thing that we need to see and understand who God is and what God's done and why it matters is Jesus. Heaven isn't eventually you and I escaping the world, although we kind of want to. Because mercy, it's hard and it's sinful. And we're dealing with all sorts of consequences in this life of our actions and the actions of others and injustice still looms and we're not there yet. Like heaven isn't. This, this picture that we have in our minds of like, oh, I just can't wait to go to heaven. Heaven isn't escaping the world, but the final once and for all redemption of it. In Acts chapter 3, Luke wrote this, heaven must receive him, talking about Jesus who ascended back to it. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything. It wasn't about earth passing away. It was about earth being finally restored so that what we exhibit in our everyday lives now could look just like God intended for it to look in the garden, that there's a oneness with God. There's a communion with God. There's a fellowship with God. There's a holy restoration between us and God. There is no more sin because we're just with him. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through the holy prophets. Heaven isn't that we finally get to him when we die, but the realization that he came to us in life. He's that ladder. He's that temple. He's that bush that's on fire that's calling out to us in life saying, my presence is here. We don't go and find him. We don't navigate the way. We don't check all the boxes. We just realize that he came the distance. He made the sacrifice. He's the only way. Christ is our gate and our glimpse. It says in John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He's the gate. He's the only way. He's the glimpse. He says in John 14, the one who has seen me has seen the Father. So if we've been a people who declared our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his everlasting atoning sacrifice that our sins might be wiped out and forgiven so that we can have a pathway to God, not so that we can go to heaven when we die, but so that we can experience him in everyday life. If we've recognized Jesus, called on Jesus, made him the central feature of our faith, Jesus then that's how we're saved. The question of people having a very heaven-centric faith, oh, I just want to make sure I've got my green card. I just want to make sure that my insurance is covered. I just want to make sure that I know where I'm going when I die, misses so much. It makes eternity the central feature of our faith rather than Jesus the central feature of our faith. It's not, it's not 100% wrong but it's a very incomplete picture. You know, people did that forever. We, we had a very earth-centric view of the world. They, people believed that the earth was the center 
of the solar system. And then Copernicus comes along and he tells us, hey, actually, I think the sun is the center of the whole solar system. And people thought he was crazy and they were really, really mad at him. And like, it was a bad situation going on because people were not ready to graduate beyond what they thought into what was actually true. A lot of people have a very heaven-focused view of salvation. It's just this way to get somewhere better. It's just the way to escape the reality that we're in, rather than having Jesus as the center of our faith. Which means we're not worried about going to heaven. Heaven came to us. The opportunity was purchased for us. The gift was presented to us. Tim Mackey says this about all those thin spaces. The vision of reality in scriptures is not of heaven and earth as separate spaces, but as overlapping ones. And we've seen the separation that sin causes. And what we understand is that will be a final reconciliation where there's a new heaven and a new earth, and they're one again. And all of the fellowship and all of the beauty and all of the pleasure that existed in the garden will be present again. How do you go to heaven? Emphasis on you. You don't. You don't get to heaven. Certainly not on your own. Certainly not by checking the boxes. Certainly not by raising your hand. Certainly not by repeating some words. Certainly not by being dunked in water. How can you inherit eternal life? You can't. Fortunately for us, the grace of God exists so that a way has been paid. Everybody who heard Jesus talk to that young fella asked, who then can be saved? And he replied, what is impossible with man, meaning that it's not possible with man, is possible with God. And so Peter spoke up and said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much, not just in the next age, in this age and in the age to come eternal life. If our picture of salvation is all about where we get to go, and not enough about who came to us, then our theology's not right about salvation. We don't earn a way, and it's not about the way to get someplace else when it's about Jesus coming to be with us now and to pay the ultimate sacrifice so that we can be with God forever. It's never ever about all the things or even this one special thing. It's always only been about just one name. And the good news about the fact that you and I can't escape all of this to get to heaven is that heaven came. And it's through Christ, a world that's broken by sin and evil and death is going to be repaired to the condition that God always intended. Sky Giovanni says that it's, I read all these books, like what if Jesus was serious about, and then fill in the blank, he's got one called what if Jesus was serious about heaven and it explores all the things that are true about what God's word says about heaven and all of the myths that we've carried with us out of our childhood, many of us that need to be left behind. They're not all wrong, they're just incomplete. And instead of looking at that place we get to go, 
we can look at the place that we are right now and the fact that Jesus came to it so that we might know God. And in the end, we can count on a final restoration where those things are one and there's no longer any separation. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the chance to to be in this place and to speak about what it means, God, to go to heaven. And we do thank you, God, that there is a promise of healing and a promise of restoration and a promise of everlasting and eternal life. And God, we bear the responsibility today in, in this age, in our day, in our generation of representing that to the world. It's through Jesus that we get a glimpse of heaven. And God, it's supposed to be through us that people get a glimpse of Jesus. So I pray for my friends in this room, my brothers and sisters, that we would be a people who aren't so focused on where we finally get to go, but more understanding of the reason that you came. And that we would communicate that to a lost world around us who definitely need to know that there's hope. Father, thank you for the distance that Jesus went. Thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made so that we might know that you love us and that there's salvation in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family who may benefit from it. And make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you want to learn more about Rolling Hills, download Church Center, our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.